She's Julie Roxanne. And he's Alistair. And And this this is Far Out. A podcast about stepping off the beaten path and learning to live from our center. Everything's in French. Oh, yeah. Everything's okay. I still have all my fingers. It was a terrible week all around because that is also the week where you got Lyme disease. No, but come on, man. What the hell? Seriously. And I was just resting my head on them and softly crying and telling like, I can't do this. I remember in the car being just like, man, Alistair, do you think we can sell this thing and leave? I'm feeling so bad. I have so many doubts. And this was our worst nightmare from the beginning. The one thing we wanted to avoid. It's a total mess. There's nothing figured out. We've just been told we need to leave. And now it's pouring down from the roof. Hey, Alistair. Hey, Julie Roxanne. Do you know we have another review? I do. Oh! Shall I read it? Yeah, who's it from? It's from Big Red 16. That's uh, confusing. Yeah, yeah. Actually, I used to get called Big Red back in high school, (laughs) and maybe my brother did too, because this is Chris, my brother. (laughs) And I think he's finally left this review after phone calls and phone calls of me begging him out of brotherly love to lead us leave us a review and his answer was when i said why don't you why don't you leave us a review he's like well i don't leave anyone a review it's like, it's true. i'm your brother come on man no he's your brother and he listens to all the and episodes he listens to them all like, yeah all it's not time. like it's not like he doesn't listen to the podcast yeah so thank you chris Thanks. he's finally he's finally left a review and this is what he says he gave us five stars Boom. so thank you all this is a must-listen podcast. Each episode gets the listener more and more engaged. Can't wait for many more episodes to come. My brother was always a man of few words. Yeah, yeah. The, the op- <laughs> the, you were speaking a lot, probably, so uh, he had true. to learn. Yeah, he had to compensate. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Chris. Thank you, Chris. Hello, beautiful listener. Hello. Welcome to a brand new episode of Far Out. Welcome. This week, we have a special one. We're talking about our caravan renovation. We've been wanting to talk about this one for a while. Finally! Yes. (laughs) So good, so good. This is actually part one of how we renovated the caravan and that whole journey, magical journey, full of challenges. Part two will be coming next week, so subscribe if you haven't to get that straight into your iTunes. Yeah, and this part of the story starts with us buying the caravan and ends with me getting Lyme disease, finding a leak in the roof, getting kicked out of the house, and finding out we have to move in the caravan before we're ready to. Pretty much. And wondering if we made a massive mistake. (laughs) (laughs) Let's get into it. Let's get into it. Good morning, good morning, good morning. Well, good morning, Alistair. How are you doing, Julie Roxanne? I'm fine on this uh, beautiful day. How are you? I'm very good. And hello, listeners. Good morning to you too, listener. 
It's nice to have you with us. Mm-hmm. What are we talking about today? Today, we're talking about renovating the caravan. Oh, man. It's a long time coming. Yes. This episode is long overdue. We've had it on our list for a few months now, I think. Yeah. And this story is kind of the reason why we even have a podcast, really. Yeah. Yeah. Otherwise, no way we would have a podcast if we didn't have this space. I, I don't think we would have done any of it. The TPF, the podcast, the businesses, anything. Yeah. So it's a very central story to this podcast, and we're excited to tell it. Yeah. So if you have listened to episode two, if you're an OG like that, which was, how did we get here? Uh, You will have some context to this story. You don't need to listen to this episode to understand what we're talking about. It's just kind of within the bigger story of what happened to us. Yeah, this story takes place after How We Got Here Part 2. Yes, exactly. So it's actually episode 3, I think, that that is right before this one in terms of storyline. So just a brief context for the listener who just wants to listen to this one. We had been traveling, we were in Portugal doing some off-grid volunteering things, decided that we were really sick of traveling and not having a hub. This was about six months after getting back from a year in Asia, primarily Mm -hmm. in in Nepal, India, and Sri Lanka. Yeah. We were still kind of getting over culture shock, reverse culture shock, from being back in the West. Yeah. It was two years into our travels, like each of us, and a year that we had been together. Exactly. And we came back to France on the 20th of March 2018 with the intention of buying some sort of hub to put on a piece of land that was offered to me. We wanted a box on wheels. Yeah, that's exactly what we wanted. We had thought RV, we had thought trailer, like, I don't know. How cargo trailer. Yeah, cargo trailer. Couldn't find that in France. And then we settled on caravan. So around April 1st, so 10 days after we arrived, we bought our caravan. But we're getting ahead of ourselves. This is the context of this story. And we're hoping, for anyone listening, that after listening to this story, not only will it be wildly entertaining, because it turned out to be a... uh, We had no idea what we were doing. A hell of a ride. Yeah, we had no idea what we were doing. We were starting from square one. We ended up with something pretty nice. But it was a hell of a journey to get there. Because for us, we had no idea what goes into renovating a caravan from Mm -hmm. scratch, from start to finish, the whole thing. And we didn't really know not only what went into it, but what we needed to have. So we'd like to paint a picture for anyone that might be remotely interested in taking on a project like this. What you can expect as far as the work and stages and also outline what it looks like when it's when it's finished. Yeah, yeah. So what does it look like when it's finished? A piece of art. <laughs> <laughs> I would agree. I love this caravan. I love spending time in it. It's a great size for us. It's so amazing because it's custom fit for us. Yeah, it's perfect. The reason we want to share just an overview of how it looks like now is for you to understand where we're going with this episode and what you can expect. We'll go into a lot more detail on each of those stages during the main part of the episode. And a basic overview is we got a caravan, we gutted it, we re everything because we didn't want 
winter to be a factor that would make us leave. We paneled the walls again. We installed new floors. We had to work on the water, the electricity, and the gas system. We redid all three. We redid all three with absolutely zero knowledge. Once again, this will be a theme throughout the entire episode. Just keep that in mind. We built a kitchen because the kitchen was not in a state of being used. We built an office space. Let's say it this way. We did we, a lot of cabinets. We also redid the bathroom. Exactly. Much. The bathroom exactly. was in disrepair. It was not usable yes. when we got it. Lastly, we put a lot of finishing touches like painting, shelves, all those things. And then obviously there's furnishing, which is pretty basic, but uh, kind of cozy and lovely. We, uh, we did a great job, I think, with, with what we have. I think we once had it described by someone who came in as a Turkish harem. Oh, yes, actually, someone, someone said this looks like Gaddafi's harem or yeah, something. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I took that as a compliment. Yes, yes, yes. It's very warm colored and uh, with all the incense, it's kind of smoky. It's lovely. But this is kind of what we did, which, I mean, it sounds easy when you say it all like that. But as you will see, it is not that easy to go from zero to this. And we did it all over... Roughly the span of three months and with a budget, should we say it now? We had a goal budget. I will, we will say this now and then we'll review the expenses at the end because I think that's interesting. Our goal budget when we arrived and we were still freaked out about just making the decision to come to France and do this, we decided that all included a car, a caravan, the renovation of it, we wanted it to come under or at 10 grand. Yeah, 10,000 euros. Yes, this is. yes. That felt like a reasonable price for us. And it's important to mention that this included a car, which cost us about 2,500 euros because we were out in the boonies and we needed a way to get get around. Yeah. Also, I think it's also important to mention that this is not your normal caravan renovation because we were thinking about it as we had an invitation, basically a long-term invitation to live on a piece of land in the forest and we were not planning on moving this caravan. And yes. we were thinking about it more as a tiny home than as like something you hitch onto a car and take to your favorite vacation spot. It still is movable very easily. It's just not something you want on the road every day because, for instance, all the shelves, all the everything's open. It's not made to be rolling all the time. And we're pretty sure uh, at this point there's no company in the world that would insure this caravan. <laughs> we know it for sure, actually. But uh, that <laughs> We are not quite to code. Who no. knows what... The, I mean, the codes are tough. It's definitely safe. But, I uh, think if you know a bit more, I see a lot of people doing the van renovations in the U.S. because that was a lot of my inspiration, and they know. And in France, it's the same. You have to you have to make sure that your van is up to code. We were going to have this thing parked in the forest. Who was going to come and check if it yeah, was up to code? For five plus years. Ex Obviously, that situation changed. Yes. But that was what we had in mind yes. when we were designing this place. So we've outlined all the major stages of renovating the caravan, but I will put this caveat in now, mm -hmm. which is that these sound very linear when we present them, and to a degree they were, but it but the project was a total mess, and there were so many little loops, you know, like yes. as you start working on something, all of a sudden you don't have that one part you need, then you move over to something else, and then like the weather's good, so you have to do that outside. Like, all this stuff is just 
there's a million things going a million directions and in general we're moving through these stages but there's all these little things and there's you know one stage wasn't cleanly finished yeah. usually it meant you had to go to the next stage do some stuff realize that you had to rethink a part of the past <laughs> stage go back and do that so that the next stage would work because we had never done anything like this and so you don't realize how electricity affects the paneling yeah. until you start trying to put up the paneling and realize that you have to go back and rewire it yeah or we or recut a panel because you need the wire to go this way or that way it's so it was a mess indeed and it was not linear at all although yeah the stages are kind of in that order so the first one <laughs> was obviously getting the caravan that was a process in itself Because yeah, that was a process we started in Portugal, really. Because the true. first part of getting a caravan was getting the idea to get a caravan. Yeah. And we've already talked about that a little bit in a past episode, so we won't dwell on it here. But we've never lived in a caravan before. This is a little bit weird to us. Yeah. It took us a little time to get used to the idea. Like, okay, yeah, maybe we're the kind of people that live in a caravan. <laughs> <laughs> you were just talking about it this morning, how like you went on a podcast episode And Letty, who was interviewing you, wanted you to talk about the caravan. Yeah, yeah. And, and you thought it was just the most normal thing in the world. But I think I noticed that like other people think it's strange, and yet it, this is where I wake up every morning. So it's lost the the strangeness. But sometimes when I just zoom out a little bit, I'm like, oh my god, what is my life? What is it? Like this is so weird. We're such weirdos. That happened to me too. We just got back from Spain. We'd been gone for two weeks, and. We drove up, and I saw the caravan, and I just had this moment of like, what the hell are we doing? We I, live in a caravan. This is crazy. You I know, just know, one of those freakout moments that once in a while you have, existential freakouts, I think. I have that when I look at it from outside. Then when I'm inside, I completely forget yeah, it what it is. it just feels like a home. You yes. don't even realize, like, from the outside, it looks like a sardine can. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> That is so true. That's how it looks. <laughs> We're two sardines in a sardine can. Hey, yeah. that's great. So if you're wondering, it takes about a year to forget that you live in a caravan <laughs> and think that that's normal <laughs> and just not like not even a talking point. <laughs> yeah. So getting it was a journey. We, I didn't really, when we got to France, we had to buy a car and a caravan in a short amount of time. And Alistair is the Craigslist king. I am. But I'm not. Or at least I wasn't qualified uh, before. And You've gotten your diploma now. I did. I, I definitely did. But I had to handle all of this because Alistair does not speak French. And that was really hard. That was so hard. It's taught me a lot and I've grown so much since but it was really hard so we got the car that was its own thing we're saying you had a driver's license but you lived in Paris you had never owned a car yeah. or really driven a car you did not know how to drive a stick a stick or anything I did not feel comfortable driving I had my driver's license but since the last three years or four years I gotten it I hadn't driven at all so and this was a pretty ballsy move from us we we had been traveling for two years And all of a sudden, we flew to a city with the plan of buying a car in three days. Yes. And then we got to the patch of forest where we were planning on buying the caravan. And I think it was another week, week and a half. 
we had bought a caravan. It was the first one we actually went and saw. Yes. It just turned out to be exactly what we were looking for. Yeah, actually, it had the exact layout we had imagined, and we had drew on our little, like, goals list, our little paper. It's funny, because I was reflecting on this this morning. We almost didn't get this caravan, because I saw it. I liked the price. I liked the size. And I didn't contact them right away because the bathroom needed completely redoing. And it was a mess. It was cracked. There was no shower head. Like the floor, the floor was cracked. There was no cabinets. The wall was like kind of half done, not painted. Yeah. It was just like completely unworkable. Yeah. When I first saw it, being as naive as I was at the time, I was like, oh, well, we'll hire someone to do that. It's true. <laughs> That's I what remember I said. We'll you get someone that. in there to do that. Jesus Christ. Who would come to the forest to work on a f- who would do that no 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 one no. so i almost didn't call because there's no way we can redo a, a shower like that that's i don't know it was weird because at in the same breath i could say i want to redo this caravan so that it's to the image that we want it to be and that we know the systems and all and at the same time i wasn't willing to call a guy who had a caravan that needed that where the bathroom needed redoing. It's, it's funny. I just think I was like scared and I, I didn't want to make the calls. Conceptually, it sounds great, but then you see like the state of some of the caravans, you're like, no, I can't do that. Like yeah, it, yeah. it kind of freaks you out a little bit. This caravan was a great opportunity though because a lot of the systems weren't in place. And this was actually something we were looking for because we were originally thinking about getting a cargo trailer. We needed specific things for the way we were going to use it that was not totally normal to a caravan. For yeah. example, we didn't want to have a chemical toilet. Yeah. You know, we didn't need some of the things that a caravan typically has. We weren't really at the time sure we were going to be able to hook it up anywhere. So we were thinking about all that and we thought better to get a solid, sturdy box. I think the main thing we didn't want was something that leaked. We wanted to avoid a leaky roof. Yeah, we knew that was the the most dangerous thing for a caravan is like having had leaks and then the the wood, the wood kind of rotting. rotting. Out. Uh, but the idea was we'll build the systems on top because we felt like I'd rather know what the systems are and build those myself than buy something with sketchy who knows, you know. Yeah. Funny enough, though, I think on the ad, he just said that the bathroom needed redoing, and I don't think he realized how much work the other systems needed redoing. I don't think he lied. I just think he didn't realize. So I ended up calling the guy. We had to drive two hours to go see the caravan, which was, I mean, it's crazy, driving two hours to go see it. We got there, super nice couple. The guy had some health issues, and so all of a sudden he couldn't take care of the caravan and renovate it the way he wanted, so they were selling it because they were not going to be able to do anything with it. And they were selling it for 23, no, 2,700 euros. But on the phone, he told me that he would be willing to go down as low as, like, 23. And I was like, dude, you're that's it. That's all I'm paying then. Like, bad bargaining to Yeah, technique. as a sales thing. Yeah. Like, the lowest number you say when you're trying to sell something is the number the buyer hears. Yeah. So if you say, oh, I'll sell it within the range of 23 to 25, 23. You yeah. just said 23, and that's all the buyer heard. Yeah. <laughs> that, that's, a, that's a general sales rule. I remember getting there and seeing the caravan. And so they made, like, they gave us the tour. They told us about it and stuff. And then 
I think they were expecting that we would make a decision off the bat like that. We were both so overwhelmed, like so overwhelmed. And we just had to say, okay, we need like half an hour or an hour to think. It was like an hour. Yeah. And we had no idea even what we were looking at. Yeah. Like, I had no idea. I didn't know really how to evaluate a caravan. We we had done some research on that. We had done research on how to evaluate if it's like if it's rained or anything. The good thing is the caravan had been sitting out for a year outside, and I mean it was there, dry. It was when we dry. Got there and everywhere. It had just rained. Yeah, exactly. So we that was a pretty good sign. I think we trusted the people who were selling it. They seemed like good people. It just was crazy to be sitting in this. The shitty, <laughs> the shitty um, couch that it had in place when we when we visited it, and just like sitting down and looking at each other, like, are we are we doing this? Are we really gonna do this? This is so much work. Are we sure we want to do this? Yeah, it's like where your dream hits reality. You uh, know, yeah. you have this vision of this great home you're gonna build, and you go see it, and it's a total junker. Yeah. You know, and it, and, it, and it's 25 years old. Yeah. It, and I mean, it, it was kind of like cobwebby and dusty and they, they didn't make it look nice when we got there. No. You know? So, so that, it was hard. Yeah. We had a lot a of doubts check. during that time. And then we came back and we, we actually told them, yeah, we're go. We're doing it. That was a crazy moment. And so when we left, he said, like, thank you for taking a thorn out of my foot. And he actually, that was one of the reasons this was such a great deal, is that he delivered it to us because we couldn't drive. We oh, couldn't, yeah. like, do it. So he he delivered it to us the next day. And funny story that has nothing to do with the caravan, but was really strange, was that morning before we drove the two hours to go see him, we had just gotten the car like a week ago. Yeah. And I had a dream that night that I had a dream that I got a speeding ticket and not only did I get a speeding ticket, but I got it from, like, a camera, kind of. Oh, you did? You yeah. Had, that was, okay. Yeah, that I got from camera. This is a little strange, because in the U.S., that's not how you get a speeding ticket. You oh. get pulled over by a cop. Wow. That day, on the way back, I got a speeding ticket by a camera. Yeah. It was really, really strange. <laughs> that, that was one of the... It just felt very, very... Uh, serendipitous yeah i guess that... yeah i guess that's that's the word i would use but it's uh yeah, it's crazy i remember alster was not familiar with the automatic radars that are everywhere in france and so we split the cost of the ticket it wasn't too big but Those... you were so upset man yeah i mean getting a ticket from a camera man it's so infuriating if you really want to piss off your people like install cameras that... that's probably why everyone in france is always pissed off yeah it's it's terrible <laughs> it's terrible so we bought this caravan and he delivered it to us i think the next day or the day after it was a big moment to see that huge caravan roll onto the piece of land and being put anywhere we could find for now because we didn't have a definite place for it. We needed it to be more level and we hadn't figured out how to do that yet. So yeah. we just got the caravan and then... It's kind of like jumping into the deep end of a pool. Oh my like God. All of a sudden you're wet, you know, yeah. and, you're, and you're like, whoa. <laughs> started freaking out. And, yeah. And immediately, you know, it, it felt so real with 
my aunt and uncle like watching us watching the caravan oh my god we have to do something with this let's just let's just leave Alster. let's just leave and leave the caravan here we don't care that would be a theme over the next few months that will be a theme yes yes true the next stage was gutting it yeah around this time we're starting there's really a few stages of the work that were happening all the time at the beginning, it was total overwhelm. We just didn't know what to do. We got this thing, but we had no plan. And we didn't feel like we could have a plan until we got the thing. So we got the thing. Yeah. And then after that, there's this process of, okay, top level, you have to decide the systems you're going to use. You have to figure out like the strategy you're going to go with. Then you have to engineer the system, like figure out all the kind of specifics. Then you got to find the parts. And we're working with a pretty tight budget so you got to find the parts within your budget or you have to go back and re-engineer redesign the system then there's the logistics which is a lot of waiting for parts to be delivered and a lot of driving to brico marche which is the french version of home depot Mm -hmm. and that is a one hour round trip drive so just to get there and back it takes an hour every time yeah and then there's the actual work the actual building part in the beginning, we spent, it was like 80% conceptual and logistical and yeah. ordering parts yeah. and stuff and research. Also, for me, everything's in French. Oh, uh, yeah, that was so hard. I, I have to figure it out in English. So I'm looking at YouTube videos and how-tos in, in the U.S. using a different system. Like, you guys use the metric system, and, yeah. and we don't. We use uh, the imperial system. So there's that. And then there's the fact that everything in France... Most of it actually has to be done by you because I I can't read the online stores or in Brico Marche even it took me a while to be able to I can never read yeah. you know the usage or instructions or stuff like that. Yeah, you always you were always sending me like amazon.com links telling me to find the similar thing in France and 50% of the time I had to come back to you and say dude that does not exist. We have to figure something out. And you had spent like three hours coming up with this solution or more. And then I had to tell you like, no, that does not exist. You were so, that was, that was pissing you off a lot. It was tough because I didn't realize it, but the amount of solutions in the U.S. is just massive. When you're doing a project like this, you have everything at your fingertips. It's not the case in Europe. There's a lot of stuff that has not come over to Europe or is like special delivery or really expensive. It's just not the same. So if you're doing this project in the U.S., you have a massive advantage from doing it anywhere else. Yeah. One of the challenges with this part of the work was just we had to get some basic understanding of things. I had to understand. We had to understand how water works. I had to spend a couple days learning how electricity worked, especially because we're going to be in the forest and we didn't want to light the forest on fire. Yeah. Getting some basic science. It was it was a shock to me when I realized we needed a pump for the water. Because I was like, wait, you have a tank with water in it, and then you turn on the tap. The water doesn't come all the way up to the tap? I didn't realize because I had always lived in places with city water where the pressure it's pressurized. That was basic physics, and I didn't know that. Yeah, anyone who's done a project like this will probably laugh. Because there's probably a stage where they went through it too. Yeah. But if you've lived in an apartment your whole life, 
there's a lot of things we really take for granted. For example, how water actually gets pushed out of yeah. your faucets. Yeah, yeah. How it gets heated, where it goes when you're done with it. Oh my God, that was so hard. That's probably one of the hardest things the, we have to figure out. The insulation and ventilation of the place has already been thought out. All these things, like we really had to learn how to live or how to kind of make ourselves comfortable. And for example, insulation we did not understand insulation at the beginning very mm. well and ventilation i never really understood that you need to have airflow going through the caravan all the time and there's good reasons for that at the beginning i had no concept of this i just thought oh well let's you know like try to seal off every hole so it stays as warm as possible no you can't do that there's reasons why not you need gas to be able to to leak out the bottom if you have an overflow you need fresh air venting through all the time just to be safe but also to prevent mold and condensation now we got hit by a massive wave of oh my god we knew nothing and then having to relearn and then everything diving deep into each one of these things and yeah. each one can take multiple days to understand if not weeks yeah and i think this is a good place to mention that for the first months of renovating this caravan we were living in my aunt and uncle's house so they had a spare bedroom which they were kindly letting us use but living with someone for a month we, we had different schedules we had different eating patterns eating habits we didn't eat the same things we were, we're uh, def- very different people yeah, there was we, about 50 years separating us yeah yeah and so we were cohabitating with them and i think they did their best to accept and stuff it was hard my uncle being such a handyman and understanding so much he built most of his house himself he was having a hard time understanding why for the first month it seemed like we were doing 70% of our time online on our computers instead of renovating yeah. the thing. Your uncle's a doer. He doesn't spend much time on a computer at all. Oh, he's also he, an artist, yeah. but he's always doing, doing, doing. Yeah. So when we move into his that house... That was just a clash of realities, and it was hard to manage that too, especially because... I was the person that had to manage it because Alistair didn't speak French and they didn't speak English. So I was in the middle of it trying to like communicate back and forth. It was, my God, what a stressful time in our lives. My God, that's... But hat tip to your aunt and uncle because what a bold invitation. Yeah. You know, they, they're, they were in their 70s. Like 60s and 70s. 60s yeah. and 70s. And they invited us in our late 20s, early 30s for me, I think. I, would yeah. think I was about 30 about that time. And we had been traveling for a couple of years. It was, it was a risky thing to do to say like, "Hey, come, you know, live with us." Or we just bought a caravan. No one knew how long the project was going to take. No one really knew what the project was. We had to figure it out on the way, and they were willing to take that chance with us. It was a pretty big display of trust. Yeah. It was a big thing to do for them. Yeah, yeah, it was. It was. Especially, I mean, I could see it in their eyes when the caravan rolled into the into the forest. <laughs> so as soon as we got it, we started gutting it. That was the easy part. Yeah, that was actually fun. I think we spent a week doing that because we, we wanted to drag that along as much as possible. It's like, oh, easy. We just take everything out. Well, also, there were things we thought we were going to leave. And then as we got further into it, we realized, no, uh, we might as true. well take them out true. too. It, it came with a really terrible couch. couch that looked like it was from the, the 80s and wasn't very comfortable. Yeah. The bedroom had been partitioned so that there was a closet in there there was a frame and stuff that wasn't going to work the kitchen was a total disaster we had to take out a lot of that 
There were lights and terrible curtains and all the stuff you can true, imagine. True, true. I guess I forgot about the curtains. So we were taking things out one by one. When we had seen it, we planned on keeping a lot of that stuff, and we ended up taking out a lot more than we had expected. True, true. That was the base. Like, that was getting it ready to actually see what the work needed to be. So that's when we started insulating it. So we had gotten a good deal on insulation. I don't know if you remember, yeah, but we went to a shop sale. and it was on sale and we saved like maybe a hundred bucks on the on the roll of insulation that we, we bought. We got something that's kind of like the Reflectix that people talk about on vans, but it had probably a quarter or half inch of kind of insulation as well. Uh-huh. And you stick it on the wall and it had reflecting sides on both sides and then so in a little bit of like actual like filler insulation even with that we were so clumsy we didn't know how we were gonna cut it like how we were gonna install it at first we were doing like little squares of it and then we decided no we're gonna do bigger chunks i mean it we figured it out uh insulation is probably like one of the least fun parts about doing a a remodel it sucks it's not very fun the the materials like that glue we used is oh very my toxic. god i had i had like absolute awful headaches yeah. remember one night yeah. you had to spoon feed me in bed because i couldn't get up i had such a hard headache yeah it was getting us like a little woozy from, yeah. from working with it but we got the we got the insulation done and we basically did the all the walls any surface we could that was going to be concealed we insulated because we're living out in the forest in South France, it can get pretty cold. Yeah. It definitely gets below freezing at times. Yeah. So we wanted it, and we wanted this to be a place we could live in year round. And uh, actually really proud of our insulation work because uh, now we, even on the coldest nights, we have about 10 degrees Celsius difference between the exterior and interior in the morning. So yeah. that's that's really good. And the heat doesn't leave too quickly. It's It's pretty good. Yeah. As you were finishing up the insulation, I started, we realized very quickly that uh, we couldn't stay much longer sharing the house with my aunt and uncle. We realized that we had to move fast, but we didn't really know. I mean, we were still trying to figure out what the steps were in, in what order we needed to do them. But we quickly realized that we needed to redo the floors. And that was going to be one of the main things, because as soon as we had the walls insulated in the bedroom and we had the floors then potentially if we needed to which i I sensed it coming that we were gonna have to leave if we needed to move into the caravan we could because then we'd have a floor that we could sleep on so we actually had ordered the floors at a at a shop that it was supposed to arrive two weeks later and then a month later it wasn't here i mean something ridiculous yeah it it was super delayed and they were not being able to give us a date when it was going to come so we canceled the order and we found some other floor panels that actually turned out great yeah Yeah, they're they're those kind of particle board underneath but the top it has a wood veneer yeah and we got it in like a gray color yeah which looked really good yeah we love our floors we started laying that down one of the reasons that we felt confident about doing this project was that your uncle is a serious handyman. Like you said, he's built a large part of his house, and he had a killer workshop. Yeah. He had most of the things you would need to do a lot of projects. Yeah. So we felt between his tools and the working space and his knowledge, we'd probably be able to get by and figure out a lot of things through that. And he helped quite a bit in certain stages. One of the most important tools that we didn't buy 
we ended up not needing a ton of tools. I thought we yeah, might have needed more. Yeah, but you know, it's the little things, though. Because yeah. for the first maybe two months, we didn't even buy a single screwdriver. Yeah. We know? ended up we ended up buying your basic tools, like screwdrivers, wrenches, uh, an electric screwdriver, these things. But he had a table saw. Yeah. That you used quite a bit, and that would have it would have been hard to do this project definitely without the table saw. And you got really good at woodwork. Yeah, I find it's funny how the work divided itself between us because I don't feel like we actively chose. In the beginning, it's kind of just oh, you're better at understanding systems, so just focus on the plumbing and the electricity. I'm good at like I'm the muscle, I'm not the brain. So just like give me a saw and I'll start working on the floors. And we kept saying like oh great, you're doing work I would never want to do. Both of us we were saying this to each other, which is great. So I started working on the floors, which was a learning curve as well. At first I was using a handsaw cuz my uncle wouldn't let me use the jigsaw. <laughs> I had to prove myself to him. And then when he saw that I was moving super slow, he was like, okay, okay, you can use it. But be careful. I was careful. I learned a lot, though, because I was not as careful as I could have been. Cause there's things I didn't know. Like, I didn't know that the saw had this, like, super powerful uh, kickback. kickback. Yeah. And so a couple of times I really scared myself, like, really scared myself. Everything's okay. I still have all my fingers. And yeah, so I started working on the floors in the bedroom. You were still doing the insulation everywhere. That's... I was doing the insulation. I might have been starting to move on to some of the electrical. You might have, yes. There were a couple of hallelujah moments. One of them was when we first got electricity going through the caravan. So basically, we had this really terrible lamp that had no lampshade, just like a kind of garbage lamp that, that we found. And we had it in the middle of the caravan. Yeah. And we could we ran a line to it. Yeah. Like basically the only light that worked in the caravan. But it was a victory because we had wired the caravan enough to at least get some light in it. Yeah, that was big. That was huge. I mean, uh, I was my uncle kept mumbling that we were gonna blow up the caravan. I, I think he thought that we were not gonna make it. I really he didn't believe that we were gonna figure it out. I'm glad that we proved him wrong. It feels pretty magical when uh, all of a sudden, like, you're, you're working in this thing that doesn't have light or any of the things that modern conveniences. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, one day, in the middle of the forest, you can turn a light on. Yeah. From yeah. a switch. Yeah. I, oh, I, yeah. I appreciated oh the ability to do that more than I've ever appreciated that ability in my life. Yeah. Because we didn't have it before. You realize what a step that is in modern technology. And that's very recent, really, if you think about it. It's only, you know, the past hundred years where we've really embraced electricity. Yeah. You go back beyond that and electricity was still this kind of mystical, magical thing. Mm -hmm. People were using kerosene lamps and it's amazing how far we've come in such a short period of time. And this caravan project really drilled that home for me. Yeah, it's so true. So true. One other major step that we had to take was figure out where we were going to put the caravan on the land and how we were going to get electricity come to it. We had figured out the water. There was two water spots on the land. Yeah, so the way to think about the land is like you drive from a small village that you drive five minutes from, you end up on a dirt road into the forest and you get to your aunt and uncle's house. Yes. And they have a pretty large plot and there were a couple areas out kind of in the woods that we could 
park the caravan. And we had to think about a couple things. It was like, okay, well, how are we going to get electricity there? And I think the harder one was, how are we going to get water there? So it had to be close enough to a water source near the house. We ended up finding a really nice place that was concealed that was about 50, 100 meters away. No, it was about 100 meters away. Yes. And it was beautiful. It was like kind of enclosed by a perimeter of trees with a small grassy field in the middle and a beautiful view. It was completely concealed from your aunt and uncle's place. And we looked out toward old growth forest. It was a really beautiful spot. It was really beautiful. You found it. I would never have looked at it because the floor was absolutely not even. It was like a slope. More than that, there were bushes in the way. Yeah. Before we could even get started on it, we had to hack away a massive amount of bushes. That took us a day. Yeah, it's true. I remember that. Oh, God. Then after that, there, we, we had a contact through your uncle who ran a construction company. Yeah, yeah. He had like a bobcat. And so he could dig it out and make it even. So we had him come and do that. On one of the days where he came to do some recon before doing the work, that's when my uncle raised the question of electricity. We had been talking about it. It had been a topic of discussion. At that point, we didn't know what we were going to do. We wanted to use solar. I was having a lot of trouble getting real answers. And... Some, a lot of people were uh, discouraging me a lot of using solar. I also felt that people didn't realize how little electricity we were going to really need. I was getting really frustrated and I was trying to push that. And I didn't want to be hooked to a cable because I felt like if we ever needed to leave their place, then we would be Dependent effed. on having yeah. a grid. Yeah. And we didn't want that. And we'd come to the conclusion that we were going to have to use a line to connect us to the grid because we were going to be in the forest and there was no way that we were going to get enough solar to get good lighting and to be able to have a little bit of freedom around electricity. We planned on running a few appliances. So we were going to have a DC fan. We we're going to have a DC pump. We we're going to have LED lights. None of that was going to take a lot of electricity, but we did want to have a couple other things like a water boiler. At this point, we sh weren't sure on our water heater for the shower maybe a microwave or a toaster oven or something like that. And those are things where we're starting to worry about having solar because if it was cloudy for two, three days, which happened plenty in the winter, you uh, could be in trouble and it wouldn't be very pleasant. So right now we figured maybe we upgrade to solar later if we live somewhere else. But for this situation, yeah. we were going to need a line in the ground. Yeah. And so I think we were both thinking oh, we can get away with a regular kind of extension cord. I thought you just got, yeah, a super long extension cord. And then and then we were going to like dig a trench ourselves and, and then bury it again. On the day where we were all hanging out and the earth mover guy came to recon the situation, my uncle asked him like, hey, would you uh, dig the trench for their cable? And he was like, okay, sure. What kind of cable are you going to use? Because you need something kind of big to transport electricity like on that long uh, section, which was about 75 meters, we knew nothing about this. So I was like, what? Why do we need... He was like, yeah, you lose energy over... over... He seemed to know stuff. Well, here's the, here's the problem, is that there was a disconnect here because they didn't really realize how we were going to live. And 
your uncle and the Earth Mover guy were both by the book guys oh, and so and paranoid book. too yeah, yeah. about these kind of things. So yeah. the ones that buy the book and overdo it, those yeah. were their rules. Yeah, yeah. And I can understand that when you're going to put something in the ground. We were getting kind of a lot of pressure by them to make sure we got the right wire. We went to another place that does kind of industrial and, you know, a contractor, yeah. a contractor place. And we asked them for their advice and another buy the book, overdo it mentality. Yeah. And no one really like, you know, we're living out there. We need enough electricity to run a microwave. Yeah. This isn't this isn't like a two bedroom apartment yeah, yeah. in Paris. But everyone's thinking about it like that. So we ended up getting. And I th- and we didn't have other voices telling us about this we didn't have other models about this so we believed all those people who seemed to know what they we, were doing we weren't just going by word of mouth i was trying to do the calculations myself but i didn't totally trust them yeah so yeah and and here is an expert telling us this is what we need so yeah. he's also a salesperson and that's probably why we ended up buying a 400 euro super thick cable yes yeah, so heavy like God. this thing probably could have powered a small village yeah We didn't realize until late that it was overkill. We didn't realize at that point. But so we bought that on the day where the guy with the earth mover came to uh, pack the earth and make the space ready. He also dug the trench, which, oh my God, was a terrifying moment. That was an oh shit moment because we were still deciding the day he dug it. It was kind of like, oh, should he dig it? We weren't totally yes. decided on solar versus electrical. We hadn't figured it out. Yes. And then he dug it. And uh, being a by-the-book guy, you need to have it, it's like three feet down. Yeah, it needs to be a certain depth. And then it needs to, you need to put the cable down inside a plastic tube. And then you need to put earth back on. And then at a certain depth, you need to put a red kind of grid plastic mesh. thing mesh as a thing. warning for anyone who digs yeah he dug a massive trench yeah. right through their lawn yeah and it was it was this ugly scar in their backyard and at that moment it got very somber the it, mood my was, god uh, the mood the was tension so was, terrible was, my mom was here And my mom's is my aunt's best friend. So it's not really my aunt and uncle. It's like my aunt is my mom's best friend. So I've, I just grew up around them. So they, they were coming back from a trip to town. And then they saw, they saw this huge scar. My uncle was pretending like, like, okay, no biggie. But I don't think he realized how much of a, yeah, how much of a terrible wound that would be to his, to his lawn. We were freaking out because all of a sudden I was like, is this really what we want to do? Did we just ask to do a trench that we're just going to like fill back up with nothing in it? It was a terrible week all around because that is also the week where you got Lyme disease. Yes, I got Lyme disease. No, but come on, man. What the <laughs> no, hell? No, Seriously. I hadn't realized how big a problem France has with ticks. It's actually becoming a bigger thing. Uh, it's getting more northern, and they think this is happening because of the warming of the climate. Ticks are advancing to places that they aren't usually. So I had always been working, you know, in sandals with shorts, and we're working in long grass at times. And and I, over the course of a week or two, had found two different ticks on me. And then at this time, I started getting crippling pain. Yeah. Where I felt like I was an old man in his 80s. Like I couldn't get out of bed. And it was that 
kind of ache in your bones and just like a super strong fatigue and and just no motivation at all. So I, right after he dug this trench, I was on bed rest for for two days or or, or maybe a week, man. You were you 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 were. There was like two days where I was totally out. Yeah, I was just on yeah. painkiller, like heavy painkillers, yeah, and, and in bed. And it was tough because we had I had to move fast. I say I now because you couldn't do it. I had to move fast. We had put the cable in the trench before you came down with the disease. And we had, that's it. I think we just put the cable in the, in the trench. But then we needed to fill it up fast because the earth was drying and it was going to make it harder to pack it. And I needed to act fast on filling, filling up the trench. My mom and my aunt helped me out. We spent like two or three days filling up the trench. Plus every day that we're looking at this massive pile of dirt on the lawn in the trench is just it's just not helping the overall mood of the place like we need to like put this back yeah, yeah we do we do my god what a terrible week it was so hard it was challenging i ended up getting on antibiotics shortly after and luckily that that solved the lyme disease problem yeah it was you, no fun you got it yeah Something else that was happening a lot during this time is I mentioned earlier that we used to have to drive to Brico Marche, the French version of Home Depot, all the time. And this was getting frustrating because there I think there was once where we had to go three times in one day. That's possible. I think yeah. there was one time. And this is an hour drive and then you're probably at the store for half an hour, so you know, you can you can count on at least an hour and a half to do this it's not like it's just down the street and these turned into like talking kind of therapy sessions oh like, my god you you particularly were working through, through some things so often there was tears in the car breakdowns both of us were like you know emotionally on our on our on our last straw yeah we were and we were some days driving one two and occasionally three times to go get parts and it was always you get what you thought you need you'd come back and you start to work on it and realize you need another like two euro part oh to God. keep going. Yeah. It was eternally frustrating. And you could never see it in advance. It wasn't for poor planning. We had lists for days. We, we recorded everything. It wasn't poor planning. It was just that you didn't know until you got to that stage and realized you need another part. It is hard to conceptualize. And you might think that the store people at the Brico Marché would help us figure those things out, but that's because you don't know about French customer service. Oh my God. This I... was awful. This was just so hard because... Once again, Alster was telling me those things operating off of the belief, hey, let's just ask this dude. He's going to help us because he's, he's working at the store. There, yeah, I'm an American and sales reps are there to help. You go there and you ask them and they tell you. Yeah. Not in France. In fact, you go to ask a sales rep and you feel like you just like cut their lunch short 30 yeah. minutes. They're, yeah. they're irritated. Yeah. It was ridiculous. I, I was getting pretty frustrated with that. Plus... Uh, being the head of a customer service department in the past, it was just, it was, it was a, I couldn't understand it. It was, it was so hard for me because I remember just being in in the middle of those two things where Alistair's pushing me to push the guy to tell me the answer to my question. And the guy is just like super irritated at me that I come back to ask yet another question. Oh my God. Hence the tears and the meltdowns in the car. I remember one day that we had got some like wood beans and they were 
coming all the way up to the dashboard of the car and I was just resting my head on them and softly crying and telling like I can't do this it's too hard I learned so much during the, this the time. sales reps eventually just got to a point where they had to accept us they knew us by name we were in there almost every day yeah. so over time they softened to us and it got a little bit easier Funny enough, though, we had trouble with this job because it was always it was closed for lunch yeah, for every like day, which was really hard for us to plan because that's usually about the time where we needed to go and buy something. And, and they say they think... close at a certain time, but really they close like half an hour before. Then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And there's like the, all the sales reps are, are gone for lunch. I mean, all oh, of if it. they're yeah, they're just they had no sales reps. There were there were there were barely any. Yeah, but we realized about two months in that there is another shop in the same town, bigger, better, had more things, and the sales reps were actually not as bad, and it didn't close for, for lunch break. It was open from like six in the morning to seven in the night, and we realized this only two months into our projects. That was a very frustrating moment for me. So besides digging the trench, the earth mover did make us a beautiful foundation for the caravan in that beautiful little clearing spot that we were hoping for. Yeah, because the land there was pretty spongy and the caravan weighs a fair amount. So plus it wasn't flat, but it also needed to be reinforced a bit. And for this, we used railroad beams, yeah. of all things. Yeah. Your uncle, being the hoarder that he was, <laughs> you can never have you know too many things when you live out in the woods like yeah. that, had collected like 15 years ago some railroad beams so uh now this was the perfect use from it actually turned out to be great it was a really solid foundation it was probably a little too solid for what we needed once again over yeah yeah but it, it worked really well we ended up moving the caravan maybe a week after that or something. The earth mover guy came with a 4x4 and towed the caravan. It was raining. It was a mess. He had brought two friends. One of the guys was like pushing the caravan. It was a big thing. It was really dramatic. It was dramatic. This was not an easy place to get a caravan. No, it wasn't. it was starting to become the forest. Yes. And it was hard not only to pull it in, but like you had to have room for the car to drive out yeah. and the angle was really 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 tight yeah the maneuvers were not easy for no, him but i'm really glad we did not do that part yes ourselves. yes then it was cool we had finally a level caravan and we could work on it really well and and we started to have a clearer vision of what we were trying to do although we were still doing the floors the insulation was not 100 percent done yet i think i might have started paneling maybe in the bedroom but i'm not even sure the inside of the caravan looked like a spaceship. Oh, Basically, yes. it was just this like reflectix kind of insulation everywhere. No walls up. Maybe the beginning of some frames to install walls on because we had to frame the whole yeah. caravan as well with beams so that we could install the Panels yeah the insulation needed about an inch air gap to work. Yeah. So this was still a mess, and this is uh, exactly a month after we arrived in France. So it's like actually 20 days after we bought the caravan. Something ridiculous like that. 20 or 25 days. One morning, my aunt came over to me and she was visibly upset. And, uh, and she told me, Julie Roxanne, I'm, I'm sorry to, to have to tell you this, but um, this is getting really hard on us to have you live in the house. It's been a month and um, 
are you making progress? Are you are you moving along? And I was kind of taken aback. And I told her like, yeah, we are. It's just it's a lot to figure out. We were still figuring out the electricity, the water, the all of it. We were having 10, 12 hour days yeah. just working from the moment we got up to the moment we collapsed at night trying yeah. to figure everything out. Yeah. And she said to me, as soon as you can, you should move into the caravan because it's getting really hard and your uncle is uh, is struggling and because they were used to living by themselves which is understandable but all of a sudden i was feeling so betrayed so full of doubts i was feeling really bad it came as a shock to me that they would say that and we were about to leave for a weekend in marseille at my mom's place where we were going to go over to my grandmother's place and kind of collect a bunch of things that would help us for the house like curtains sheets all of those things so this happened right before and I was shocked and when we left to Marseille I remember in the car being just like man Alistair do you think we can sell this thing and leave I'm feeling so bad I have so many doubts before we even got to the trip to Marseille something else big happened too which is we found out the caravan roof was leaking oh my god yes we had finally gotten it on the flat ground because where it was parked before was not level. So the water was draining off. And then when we moved it, it was completely level and the water was collecting on the top. And we found out literally, I think it was the night before we had to leave. We had a ma- it was there was a massive downpour. It was early spring and it was leaking and we were putting pots and pans through half the caravan and towels trying to catch it all. I mean, water was just draining through the caravan. And this was our worst nightmare from the beginning. The one thing we wanted to avoid and thought we had until this point was a leaky roof. For us, that was the one nail in the coffin that would doom the project. If we had a leaky roof, we couldn't see past that. So we had just been told we need to get out of the out of the house. By the way, there's no heat. There's no running water. We don't even have walls up. I don't think the flooring's finished. I think the flooring is only on one side. There's nothing. We have one dinky little light that we use at night if, when we're working. Otherwise, it's a total workshop inside. I mean, we have a work table. We have saws in there. It's a total mess. There's nothing figured out. We've just been told we need to leave, and now it's pouring down from the roof. And let me tell you, if you've never had a leaky roof, I'm not sure there's anything that creates a bigger sense of despair than having water come down from the ceiling and not being able to be in a dry place when it's bucketing rain outside and when it's cold and when the inside is wet and cold as well. Oh my God, I was so depressed at that point. At that point, we were seriously thinking, we need to pull the plug on this. This is a loser. Can we sell it? What, what, what can we do? Maybe we got to get out of here. This isn't going to work. And that's all for this week. Yes, this is a twofer. It's a big story. And to do it real justice, we're going to tell it in two episodes. Join us next week for part two, where you figure out with us what happens after we decide maybe we should just pull the plug on this so if you've enjoyed this episode there's a couple things you can do to support this podcast and we'd really appreciate it the first thing you could do is leave us a review second thing is 
subscribe. This is the best way to get us every week without even thinking about it. How glorious is that? Yeah. Can we say anymore? <laughs> and third, you can find the show notes for this episode at thefaroutpodcast.com. And share it with your friends. Yeah. All right. I think that's enough for now. Toodles. Toodles. Toodles.